I want to be clear that when they look back on this moment 200 years from now, that there are those of us who stood up and they'll be able to say they defended the right to vote one year ago today on my mother's dying bed at 92 years old, former sharecropper. Her last words were, do not let them take our votes away from us. They had fought, she had fought and seen people harmed, beaten, trying to vote. Talk about inalienable rights. Voting is crucial. And I don't give a damn how you look at it. There are efforts to stop people from voting. That's not right. This is the United States of America. And I will fight until the death to make sure every citizen, whether they're Green Party, whether they're Freedom Party, whether they're Democrat, whether they're Republican, whoever has that right to vote. Because it is the essence of our democracy. I want to be clear that when they look back on this moment 200 years from now, that there are those who, of us who stood up and they'll be able to say, they stood up and said, we will defend, they defended the right to vote. Because you know what the problem is? For so many people, their rights are pulled away from them, then they got to put in laws to get them back. Pulled away from them? What does that mean? They cannot progress rapidly. They cannot progress with the rest of society. And all they're trying to do is trying to control their own destiny. One more time say, we shall civil rights movement as if it rolled in on the wheels of inevitability. These were improbable victories. And we have yet another bridge to cross in this American democracy. We have to make sure that black people can vote, that brown people can vote, that young people can vote, that women can vote. We've got to make sure that everybody has a voice in their democracy and that working people have access to the post. Let's stand together, let's work together, let's vote together, let's pray together, let's hope together. Together we will win. This is Rich Proceda, producer of Bible Study for Progressives. Join us in our monthly democracy discussion, February 6th at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. We will talk about making democracy better with Jesse Kuman of Best Democracy. To register, go to tinyurl.com slash democracy. Welcome to Bible Study for Progressives. 
a show where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths and ideologies come together to discuss scripture, spirituality, and politics. We engage scripture in its historical context, plumb its depths for wisdom and guidance, and apply its lessons to current events and social issues. Whether you're a liberal evangelical, a New Age spiritualist, a social justice activist, or a postmodern theologian, there's something in this show for you. Come, be energized in spirit and mind to understand the word and what it means to be a spiritual person in today's world. The Central Political Struggle in World History is between authoritarian and democratic forms of government. For most of world history, people have lived under the rule of tyrants. Democracy will not survive unless we organize and demand it. I've decided to commit my later years to this cause because I will not allow democracy to die without a fight. Some want to whitewash the events of January 6th. They continue to tell the big lie, the same lie that instigated an insurrection. Even now, they are using it to justify restrictions on our right to vote, to undermine fair elections. Republican lawmakers across the country are gerrymandering districts and proposing and enacting laws that make it hard for people to vote. Some even propose allowing partisan party officials to overturn election results. Our democracy is still under attack. Democracy is collapsing worldwide. America is not alone. Authoritarianism is on the rise around the globe. Our democracy is under attack by enemies both foreign and domestic. We may be coming to the end of an era of human freedom. The failure of democracy in the United States would severely impact democracy around the world. The brutal crackdown on pro-democracy movements around the world and the mass dissemination of disinformation by multinational media moguls and far-right extremists led to the rise of authoritarianism. Propagandists tap into racial, ethnic, religious, and cultural prejudices and use ideology and disinformation to manipulate and inflame people. Extremism and division are driving the assault on democracy, just as they did on January 6th. We are inundated with propaganda. We have all been exposed to disinformation and half-truths. 
in this information age. We must be critical of the media we consume. We must reject extremism, not because being moderate is the right thing to be, but because we are all being manipulated. Authoritarian leaders at home and abroad are disseminating propaganda designed to undermine democracy. You may have heard some. I won't repeat it. I would just say that America is a democracy. We have a flawed democracy, not a failed democracy. We have a democracy in need of repair. We must pass legislation to secure elections and protect voting rights. We cannot have some states where the right to vote is protected and others where voting is suppressed. No state has the right to be a dictatorship, not in the United States of America, not in the land of the free. We need national standards that ensure that every citizen can vote and that the elections are fair and transparent. The struggle for liberty and democracy has never come easy. The recent failure to pass voting rights legislation in the Senate means we face a protracted struggle to save democracy. America's grand experiment in democracy may be coming to an end. Americans must come together as a nation and demand free and fair elections with universal access to the ballot box for every American citizen. Americans believe in democracy. Both sides are worried about democracy in America. Legislation designed to protect and secure our democracy is popular. We can all agree that we need free and fair elections where every eligible citizen's right to vote is protected and every citizen's vote is counted. The right to vote is fundamental and sacred. Every citizen has the right to participate in the decisions of their government. This is the American way, a republic built upon the idea that we the people, rather than a king or dictator, should govern. We cherish and protect our constitutional right to vote because it is the basis upon which all our rights and freedoms depend. We must never allow our democracy to be overthrown and replaced with a dictatorship. We must reignite the world's beacon of democracy, lest we leave our children a world ruled by tyrants. In the last episode, we saw how Jesus defended and demonstrated his zeal for the traditions and laws of Israel. And I ended that episode by saying that next, he will go where those who claim zeal for the traditions of Israel fear to tread. Well, 
that was a moderately clever line, if that. Well, I thought it was a moderately clever line. Maybe it wasn't even that. But at any rate, it could give the wrong impression. As we will see, Jesus is about to go into Gentile territory. So my statement could be understood to mean that Jews were Gentile-phobic, refusing to visit Gentile territory because they feared and hated Gentiles. But that's not really true. Jews went into Gentile territory all the time. In fact, many of them lived in Gentile areas throughout the empire, and even east of the empire in Persian lands. But anyone traveling to foreign lands in antiquity would justifiably feel a little nervous, especially if they were citizens of an occupied nation rather than citizens of the empire. There wasn't the assurance of safety in foreign travel that many of us, especially from wealthy countries, assume today. A foreigner could be a target for xenophobic hate or for those merely looking for an easy victim to steal from. Furthermore, the area that Jesus walks into the region of Tyre and Sidon, was a particularly precarious place for a Jew to travel during the first century due to the hostility and tension between residents of that area and the Jewish people. Josephus refers to the people of Tyre as the bitterest enemies of the Jews, and he records violent clashes between the two groups. So any Jew might fear to tread there. But more to the point that I'm making is that Jesus will end up doing more than merely wandering into the territory and among its people. He will either alter the whole trajectory of his mission, or he will finally make a breakthrough that he's been trying to make for a while, depending on how you interpret the passage. And we'll get to that later. Now, also in the last episode, we saw Jesus once again defeat the wisdom men of Israel, in debate. He defeated the Pharisees and their scribes. They quibbled about ritual washing of hands before eating, but Jesus told them that what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a person. Once again, this peasant wise man, the one who trains other peasants to be scribes for the new society, this peasant rabbi who operates a traveling peasant scribal school defeated those trained in the scribal schools of the old society who come down from Jerusalem. All of that is what makes the next scene so ironic. In this next scene, Jesus will spew unclean things from his mouth, and he will lose a debate. My name is Bert Newton, and this is episode 38 of Bible Study parody, and subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Let's read Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. 
And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting at us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Having just successfully defended himself against a challenge by the Pharisees and scribes concerning his zeal for the traditions of Israel, Jesus wanders into Gentile territory, the region of Tyre and Sidon, where Josephus tells us there was enmity between Jews and the people of this region. Jesus encounters a woman from this region who pleads with him to liberate her daughter from demonic oppression. This woman is also a peasant, living under a brutal Roman occupation. The demonic oppression of her daughter highlights this. As I've explained in previous episodes, demons were an extension of Satan, who was understood in Jewish resistance literature of the time to be the spirit behind the Roman Empire. So the demonic possession of the woman's daughter serves to highlight her and her daughter's common plight with Jesus and his people. They are all peasants suffering under a brutal Roman occupation. But she is not Jewish, and Jesus treats her with contempt. I'm torn as to how to interpret this passage. On the one hand, many have interpreted this passage as one in which Jesus is caught with his compassion down. That's the phrase I constantly read and people commenting on this. He is caught with his compassion down. He makes a racist remark, calling a Gentile woman a dog, but then is brought back to his senses by her clever retort to his rudeness. Jesus, perhaps tired from all his travel and work, reveals his humanity. After all, he is the Son of Man, which can be translated the human one. And he gets schooled and discipled by a Gentile woman. I like that interpretation. It makes the story more interesting. However, we have to take into consideration that Jesus has already encountered Gentiles and treated them with grace and honor. He gave high praise to the centurion who recognized his authority. He went into Gentile territory and liberated two men from demonic imperial oppression. And the narrator tells us that Gentile wise men knelt at his crib when he was a baby. So it seems sort of unlikely that he would suddenly have intense, hostile feelings toward Gentiles. And yet, that may be what we get in this passage. It's not the only surprise that we get in the gospel. For example, we don't expect Jesus to plead so fervently in the Garden of Gethsemane with God not to have to go through to the cross. After teaching emphatically multiple times that the cross is his destiny, and after calling others to follow him to the cross, we don't expect that. But that is what we get in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sorry for the spoiler, but I'm assuming most of my listeners already know that part of the story. 
So it is entirely possible that we are meant to understand that Jesus, perhaps tired from the struggle, gives in to his human impulse to engage in ethnic hatred and has to be saved by the Gentile woman who is the object of this hatred. It would be like in the Garden of Gethsemane. He shows his humanity. There he shows his fear. Here he gives into the impulse to show contempt, racist or ethnic contempt. The other option, of course, is to understand that Jesus is setting up the woman to be the hero, the teacher, in a crucial teaching moment. Some scholars have interpreted it this way, making the case that Jesus says and does what a rabbi might say and do in such a situation to create this teaching moment. I'm not going to summarize those arguments because I did not find them to have enough detail to be convincing, but it is worth noting that more than one scholar has made this argument, that Jesus follows a rabbinical pattern in setting up the woman to be the teacher. But whichever is the case, it is clear that the narrator makes the woman the hero. This is the first time in the story that a woman actually speaks. The narrator calls her a Canaanite, using a historic term that highlights her status as an enemy of Israel. Canaanites in the Hebrew Scriptures were the quintessential enemies of Israel. And then Jesus contradicts his own teaching. First of all, he contradicts his teaching to love one's enemies. An instruction from his first recorded teaching in this story in chapters 5 through 7. And he also contradicts his most recent teaching in the previous passage. He just taught that the things that truly defile someone proceed from the heart through the mouth. And here he is spewing from his mouth unclean hatred at this woman who is pleading with him for help. And she is the one who demonstrates enemy love. She is the one who demonstrates the humility required to forge solidarity between peasant people occupied by the same foreign power. And she is the first person to defeat Jesus in a debate. After multiple episodes, one just previous to this, in which Jesus defeats the elite wisdom men of Israel in debate, he concedes a debate to a peasant Gentile woman. Anyway, we look at this. She is the hero of the story. In conceding the debate to her, Jesus commends her great faith, which contrasts with Peter's little faith in the last chapter and with the other disciples' little faith in previous episodes. Faith is not just about believing in supernatural things. Faith is about trust, and who you trust makes all the difference. This Gentile peasant woman has placed her trust in a Jewish peasant messiah leading a nonviolent liberation movement to deliver all people from the satanic and demonic rule of the systems of domination. All of that takes great faith.
By demonstrating this great faith, this woman paves the way for what happens next. As Jesus continues his work among the Gentile peasantry. This has been Bible Study for Progressives. If you enjoyed the program, please subscribe to our podcast or put us in your favorites and write a five-star review. Tell your friends about us and share us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and click the donate button at modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. Your support will help us reach more people, produce more and better shows, and cover the cost of production. Feel free to send me a note or comment on the show. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Rich Proceda. Thank you for listening.